and do the same thing. After a while, that story just began to have a life of its own. Or, maybe it was true. Maybe the water was stirred by a natural spring and the mineral richness of this water helped provide some degree of healing or soothing to people's skin. Or, maybe it was an angel stirring the water. I can't prove it scientifically, but history says it was there. And I believe that it was a place of healing. Now, whether that healing was through natural or supernatural basis, I believe that it was real. Why would people continue to come there day after day, week after week, if there was no substance to it? If it wasn't legitimate, wouldn't people have stopped coming after a while? We all know that with our living God, there is no such thing as coincidence. I've told you before, take that word out of your vocabulary. It does not exist. Nothing just happens. I believe that God used this healing source, whether it was natural or supernatural, that's up to him, but I believe he used it as a way to demonstrate his mercy. More than that, though, I believe that God used this pool of water to bring about physical healing in whatever way he chose to in days past because of what happened on this one particular day, and I'll tell you why. God knew that Jesus was going to be here on that day. God knew that that would happen on a very particular day, and so for weeks and for months, perhaps even years, God was bringing people to this pool. Why? He was building up the reputation so that one day, the day that he chose, there would be this one man in particular there, and there would be a crowd of people as well to witness what God was about to do.
And so the crowds are there. Everyone is trying to be in position for that first sign of the water stirring in order to be the first one in. And then comes Jesus. And that man's life was changed forever. Not because of folklore. Not because of legend. Not because of water on the outside. But because of Jesus on the inside. Let's go ahead and ask some why questions. Why does John give us this story? So that the world may know that Jesus is the Son of God is the best answer. John 15, 31, John said, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. Another short answer as to why John gives us this story is to present the living water over physical mineral water. Another short answer would be to present Jesus as truth over folklore or legend. But you see, all of those things might be well and good, but they're all superficial. Those are not much more than junior high Sunday school lessons. We need more. We need to go more deeply because we need to find that scriptural truth there that John has for us. John's writings are full of these stories and miracles and records of events that have a much deeper meaning than just is what's on the surface. John calls the miracles throughout his gospel signs. And he calls them signs because they point to something greater than just the miracle that even took place. So let's dig deeper. Why this particular event on this particular day? Why this one man and why not more? Why not all of them? Jesus had healed crowds before. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5, Matthew 15, John chapter 6, all tell us of great crowds of people coming to Jesus and Jesus healing all of them. And so why does John give us this story? Number one in your outlines today, Jesus came to people. People came to Jesus in throngs. After hearing what he was capable of, he had already begun performing miracles. People were coming to him. But did you notice that there's no indication whatsoever in the story that anyone recognized Jesus on this particular day? He had a following. People had been following him by the hundreds, if not thousands. And yet here he shows up in Jerusalem and it's like nobody had ever seen him before. No one knew him. And so he went to them. We need to take a time out here because there's a spiritual meaning here. Time out number one. Isn't that what Jesus does? He comes to us in just the way we need him. There's some similarities between this story this morning and the story of the healing of the man blind from birth in John chapter 9. After healing that blind man and after he was excommunicated from the church, Jesus then went back to him and found him again in order to deal with spiritual matters. Jesus provided for him what the church had failed to. And in our story today, Jesus heals the lame man and then later goes back to him as well to deal with spiritual matters. Jesus comes to us in just the way 
we need him. There are also similarities in this story with the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. In the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. You go back and read in that 11th chapter, I think you'll see, you'll find that Jesus knew that Lazarus had already died. And yet he waited two days. And then he took a third day to travel, which wasn't even a half day journey. And so after he arrived in Bethany, four days after Lazarus had died, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha, but he doesn't go to them to talk about, oh, I'm so sorry. He was a dear friend. I know you loved him. I know you're... Jesus goes to them to talk to them about eternal life. Why? Because it's not a story about Lazarus. It's a story about Jesus. And that occasion of the blind man in John chapter 9, that's not a story about a blind man. It's a story about Jesus. And our story today in John chapter 5 is not about a man who was paralyzed. It's a story about Jesus. Jesus. Number two in your outlines, Jesus saw the big picture. There would be more opportunities for healing. This is still in the first year of the ministry of Jesus, and over the next couple of years, he's going to be preaching and teaching and healing. And after witnessing the healing of this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, one that everybody knew was legitimate people were going to come to realize that this was not just some hoax. This wasn't just somebody exhibiting some kind of ploy, paying someone from out of town. People would leave the pool, and they would start following Jesus. And so now Jesus is ready. Verse 6, Jesus saw him lying there, asked, do you want to get well? The man is healed. And then the crowds begin to look at Jesus rather than the pool. And so you see, now he's ready. Now he has the audience. Now he has their attention. They thought they were there so that one of them might be the first one into the water to be able to get healed that day. What they didn't realize was that they were about to be introduced to the one who said, I am the living water. Number three, Jesus makes his claim. Jesus tells the blind man, pick up your bed and walk. Jesus could have just said, get up and walk. He could have said, be healed. He could have said anything else, but he very specifically says, pick up your mat. Why? You know as well as I do, this was the Sabbath. And no one could do anything that even resembled any kind of work on the Sabbath. The legalists of the day, the Pharisees, had that long list of things that they said, not God, but things that they said you could not do on the Sabbath. And carrying something as insignificant as a little rolled up mat was going to get their attention. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus was getting their attention. And so when they see this man up and walking, they get upset. Why are you carrying your mat? They're not concerned with his health or his well-being. They're not concerned about the miracle or who did it. They're concerned about the mat. And his answer to their question Why are you carrying your mat? It's classic. Verse 11, he says, the man who healed me told me to. We need to take another time out. Time out number two. What has Jesus asked you to do? 
And that brings us to your homework for today. Spend some time in prayer this week. It's in your bulletin. It's on the screen. What is Jesus asking you to do that you are not doing? Is it something in your prayer life? Something showing your devotion to him? Is it talking to someone about Jesus? Is it is there something that he wants to teach you? Is it something regarding you becoming a part of what God is doing in and through this fellowship at First Baptist Church of Titusville? What has Jesus been asking you to do? If you only get one thing from this message today, make it this. If you are listening to me in the sanctuary or you're listening on radio or you're following us through our streaming service, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has something for you to do in the work of his kingdom. What is it? This man at the pool that day was only the means for God to do something greater. And that's another similarity to the blind man story. The Pharisees weren't concerned about him being healed. They were just concerned about him carrying his mat. And in that blind man story in John chapter 9, the disciples walking with Jesus on the way to the temple saw the blind man. And so they asked Jesus, was he blind because of sin in a past life or was he blind because of sin of his parents? Both of which were prevalent thoughts of the day. The idea of reincarnation from the Far East had made its way into the Middle Eastern culture of Israel by this time. And certainly the sin of, uh, of parents being passed on to future uh, generations was certainly strong in Jewish thought. And so it wasn't a surprise that the disciples would ask the question. The problem was they didn't show any interest or concern for the individual. They knew him. They knew that he was blind from birth. But yet, they didn't show any indication that they cared about him whatsoever. All they wanted to do was just have a theological discussion about him with Jesus. Maybe that should be a lesson for us. To spend a little bit less time debating theology or doctrine and showing more Christ-like concern for people around us. Well, Jesus answered that day for them he said it doesn't have anything to do with sin in a past life or he said this is all for God's glory and in our story today there at Bethesda it was for God's glory time out number three do you remember the definition I gave you for giving God's glory we've been talking about it for three months now making God look Because of the faithfulness of Jesus to do the will of the Father, God looked good that day when he healed that blind man. And on this day, here at the Pool of Bethesda with the lame man as well, God is about to look even better to all those people gathered around the Pool of Bethesda. And so now we come to the rest of the story. We come to that deeper level that John has been bringing us to. Now that Jesus has their attention, he goes into his message. He goes into his testimony. He introduces himself, making it very clear that he is more than just Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth. 
verse 18, tells us that the religious leaders became angry because he was calling uh, God his father and making himself equal with God. And then he makes it even clearer. Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, key word there, sent, circle that. Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death into life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus was not only speaking figuratively, but he was also speaking very, very real and tangibly about healing Lazarus, which would come up just a little bit later. Well, all of this doesn't go over very well. And so they begin getting angry. Who does he think he is talking about this? And so we come to number four. Jesus gives his credentials. He tells them exactly why he has the authority to do this. In the law of Moses, which the Pharisees very strictly adhered to, it took the testimony of two to three witnesses for a matter to be decided. And so Jesus begins to tell them, I don't have one witness. I don't have two. I don't have three. Jesus gives them four witnesses. The word testify is used four times in the next few verses. First witness, John the Baptist. Verse 33, he said, You have sent John and he has testified to the truth. By this time, it had been common that John the Baptist had placed his full support behind Jesus. He had proclaimed Jesus as the, as the Lamb of God and had said that he was the one that John had come to prepare the way for. Witness number two, the work he is doing. Verse 36, Jesus said, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work the Father has given me to finish and which I'm doing testifies that the Father hath sent me. There's that word sent again. Being sent by the Father is a very strong theme throughout the Gospel of John. What work had the Father sent John to accomplish? Well, exhibit number one was right there with him. That paralyzed, former paralyzed man. He had been unable to walk. For 38 years, they knew who he was and the fact that Jesus had healed him. Not the miracle water, not the mineral water, not the angel, not any of that. Jesus had healed him. Was, an ev was evidence that God had sent him. Time out for lesson number four. Is your life a living testimony of Jesus working in your life? just the way this paralytic man was. There's a statement that came out at least 60 years ago. I think I heard it when I was about 10 years old. Do the math. And it was, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? An old, old thought, but how true it is. Is your life a living witness of Jesus living through you every day.
Witness number three, the Father. Verse 37, Jesus said, The Father, here it comes again, who sent me has himself testified concerning me. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove. And there was the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus finishes in a grand way. Last witness, the scriptures themselves. Verse 39, Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Over the course of his life, Jesus would fulfill more than 300 Old Testament prophecies. No other person before him or since has even come close to fulfilling even a fraction of those prophecies. Jesus said these prophecies that you adhere to in your own scriptures, they're about me. Last in your outline today is this. Number five, Jesus chose this man. Why did Jesus choose this one particular man? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, the first one's obvious. The healing proved that it was authentic. Okay? He had been a paralytic for 38 years. Everybody down at the spa knew him. Everybody knew that he would never walk again. They knew that this was no hoax. But then also, they also knew that he could not heal himself and that's the next point he had no chance to get into that pool at that rare moment when the water would stir now that may seem obvious but there's a very very strong significance here everybody believed that the first person into the pool when it stirred would be healed they believed that that water was stirred by God through representation of an angel. Now, whether it was a hoax or not really doesn't matter. The fact is they believed it. So what did they do? They pushed, they shoved, they forced their way into position, and this man had no chance. And this points to an irony behind the pool of Bethesda. Because you see, Bethesda means house of mercy. Because they believed that it was an angel of God showing his mercy, stirring the waters. It may have been called that. It may have been named that. But Bethesda was not a house of mercy. No. Bethesda was a house of merit. It was a house of works. It was a house of deeds. It was a house of action. It was a house of luck. Whoever was the first person to jump in the water, whether it was by their own strength or cunning or paying someone to help them, whoever could help them get into the best position, that was the person that they thought would be healed. And if you weren't quick enough or strong enough or resourceful enough or able enough by your own power, you weren't going to be healed. And so the ones who made it into the water first were the ones who by their own merit they believed would be healed. 
They could earn their healing. Do you see where it's going? By their own actions. The pool of Bethesda was nothing more than a house of merit. The weak had no hope. There was no mercy down there at the pool of Bethesda. But then Jesus came. The Lord of mercy came to the house of mercy. Why this man? Jesus came to the one who had absolutely no chance on his own. And he healed him. There's still one more reason. And we almost lose this one. See in the outlines, there was something that he had done 38 years before that had crippled him. He had sinned. Look at what Jesus says in verse 14. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. For 38 years, he had been crippled by something that happened and had haunted him for the rest of his life. And then Jesus came and healed him. And Jesus released him from his body of sin. Do you see the real story that John is telling? Time out number five. There are a lot of people in this world today who are gathered around their own pool of Bethesda. It's a place that reminds them of something in their past. It's a place where they falsely think they're going to find some healing. It's a house of merit where they feel like if they can just be strong enough or smart enough or connected enough that they'll be able to fix themselves whatever is wrong in their lives. But when they realize that they're not strong enough, that they're not smart enough or quick enough or who they thought they were, that they're left without any change in their life and they're left without hope. And it is then that the Lord of mercy can come into their lives. Jesus comes to us in just the way we need him. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ today, invite the Lord of mercy into your life. And if you're not sure what that means, if you're not sure how to do it, do not let this day pass without talking to me, someone in your family, a friend, anyone. Talk to them about asking the Lord of mercy to come into your life. And if you are a believer today, what is Jesus asking you to do? You've heard his voice, but you've been putting it off. What will you do for God's glory to make him look good to those around us? Will you give your life to the Lord of mercy today? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to think very, very strongly, very seriously 
about what John has told us today. We pray, Father, that you would help us to examine our lives and if there is anything that is keeping us from doing what you need us to be doing to bring your kingdom forward in this place, Father, just remove that from us. Cause us to want to love you, serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our hymn of commitment. This is your opportunity to respond in any way that God might be speaking to you regarding your relationship to him or to this church. Would you listen and would you respond as God speaks to your heart? Stand as we sing together.